Welcome to the Testimony Podcast, people of faith telling the stories that matter from their lives. I'm your host, Andrew Chamberlain, and I'm delighted that you can join us for this conversation. You can subscribe to the Testimony Podcast on all of the major podcast distributors and follow us on Twitter at TestimonyCast. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Testimony Podcast. My guest today is Jeff Peters. Something of a tearaway in his youth, Jeff at least got a place at university. And although he had a church upbringing, he says that that is the place where he really came to faith. He then went on to an extremely short-lived career with one of the top public relations firms in the world. And after that, he took his passion for presenting a message and communicating it clearly and worked for an organisation that helped churches understand the demographics of their local communities so that they could serve them better. He now serves as the Chief Marketing Officer for Operation Mobilisation, a global Christian missions movement. Jeff has a passion to release people of faith into their calling and equipping them to follow Jesus by living out God's love in their local neighbourhoods. This is his story. Jeff, welcome to the Testimony Podcast. It's great to have you as my guest today. Thank you. It's great to be with you. So I want to start by asking you if you could tell us a little bit about your background, maybe where you grew up, those sort of circumstances, and and some of how you got to where you are today. Thanks, Andy. Yeah, for myself, I well, I grew up in the United States. I'm from uh, the uh, originally from the state of Arizona, which is one of the very hot states in the southwest part of uh, of the U.S. Uh, I grew up in the church, but I grew up as the the only child of a single mother. My mother, this actually ties right into my story of mm-hmm. of my own faith journey right, right from the very beginning. My my mother and my father were not married, uh, and so uh, as a as a result of that, and the fact that my father was actually the uh, Episcopal or Anglican priest who was helping my mother through a previous divorce. I have very early connections to a disconnection, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, between the ideas of family, the ideas of faith, and everything else. And so that this idea of family and faith is something that I know that I've been working out for myself uh, alongside, of course, uh, my prayer life and my faith journey really uh, since the very beginning, when you grow up knowing that your father who is not in the picture is actually God's right-hand man as a a priest, Mm. uh, I think it does something to your spirit early on. And so uh, my faith journey from the very beginning is a bit of a recovery from some, some false narrative, if you will, Mm. around the way God sees me, and the way God uh, wants to be involved or not involved in my life. Okay. So can you tell us a little bit about maybe your teenage years and when did you go to college and first job you had, that kind of thing? Sure. For myself, I started, um, I mean, my teenage years were very, that's the best way to say this, chaotic. (laughs) It's probably the best (laughs) way. I was, uh, I was, uh, a handful, to say the least, for okay. my mother. She, uh, she and I struggled quite a bit. I was raised very much by U.S. standards, what would be considered deep poverty. We were on government assistance for quite a bit. We were on the verge of homelessness quite a bit. Uh, and and by the time I entered my uh, my 
year 10 in school, uh, I had already moved schools 13 times. Wow. So it was a very chaotic upbringing, a massively yeah. chaotic upbringing. Yeah. And uh, that, but that ultimately, I think, is part of what was my catalyst for for moving out and getting onto university and 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 making my own way, so to speak. And so I I was able to um, get myself accepted into a university and through the grace of God, managed to uh, to leave university with a communications degree. Uh, and actually it was in university where I came, I, I would say I came to faith for myself in university. Uh, even though I was raised in the church, um, my mother always brought me to church. We were always, always at the church. Um, it was very much a historical understanding of who Christ is uh, and the stories of the Bible. Uh, but when I came to university and saw that my college or university roommate had uh, a faith of his own, he was reading his Bible daily. Mm-hmm. He spoke about God in the present tense. That was a bizarre experience <laughs> for me. Um, and uh, it really made me reflect on who is this living, loving, present God, and what does uh, what does he have to say for me? Uh, I've understood him from a historical perspective, but this notion that he's still alive and working and active today. Uh, was something that was, oh, was goodness, was a was a, a an eye opener for me, and so that that carried me on into my first my first job, if you will, after university, where I went to work for a public relations firm and uh, managed to actually get myself fired from that job when I started asking questions because I felt that this faith that was now alive inside of me was experiencing tension between some of the activities we were doing for clients and some of what I felt was ethical, right, by my own Christian biblical standards. And uh, so I was brought into the manager's office at one point, senior manager, managing partner. Uh, He offered me a promotion. (laughs) I opened my big mouth to ask questions about some of the ethics related to one one of the campaigns we were doing. And I walked out of that meeting having been handed my uh, my papers, so to speak. And uh, Friday was soon my last day. So this is <laughs> it's been a bit of my journey uh, uh, in my early years, for sure. I want to explore that, if I may, just for a moment. So your faith collided with what you were doing professionally, and I, I don't know whether at that stage, I presume you weren't married or you didn't have a lot a lot of other responsibilities I mean maybe you did I don't know did you did were you on your own at that point or did did you have other people who were dependent on you uh, I was I was on my own at that point yeah that okay. was um, but but this certainly was my I mean this was the I actually had had my sights set on this agency for about two years wow <laughs> this was one of the top agencies this was uh uh this was a a a choice placement so to speak yeah yeah um so goodness so how did how did you deal with that in your mind so when you could you kind of sacrificed your career with somewhere that you really wanted to be presumably doing a a job where at least some of it was stuff that you enjoyed doing but your faith kind of cost you the job so how did that work for you in your mind how did you uh, what did you how did you react to that and how did you engage with God around that 
Oh, uh, you're you're so spot on, and I would say it's it's still a work that I love to do. I mean, the that's part of why I found such a home in the study of communications and marketing and and this sort of work. I mean, we we serve a God who uh, who always knew his audience, right? The living Christ. Uh, he came upon a woman at a well and spoke of being living water. Uh, he came upon. Uh, two brothers on a boat and spoke about f- making you fishers of men, right? He he always had the ability of presenting the gospel uh, in a way that was contextually aligned perfectly with the person or people he was speaking mm. to. Mm. And I, I see that that is so similar to a lot of the work within the marketing world that I that I fell in love with. It was it was you know, how am I making sure that the message we're trying to get across is taking into consideration the people who are actually hearing it? Um, and and what are we trying to accomplish? And, and what, what are we trying to move forward? So I definitely loved this work, but it was, it was uh, a sacrifice, ultimately and honestly, that I was unaware I was making. I thought I was just simply asking uh, an educated question. I was the neophyte. I was the newbie. Uh, I was a, I, I was getting promoted from the status of intern to uh, to an account executive role, and I thought I was just asking a question because I undoubtedly, as the new person, low man on the totem pole, so to speak, was clueless about what was really happening. Mm, mm. And when I learned that my view was actually pretty accurate. Uh, I just asked the managing partner, I said, well, how about rather than taking the job right now, I mean, would you allow me 24 hours just to pray about this? Because I want to make sure that I that I feel right in my own spirit and, and that this is this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I thought it was an innocent question and his response shocked me. He said, well, I'll tell you what, how about we make Friday your last day? <laughs> and I, I thought, well, this is not going at all the way that I anticipated. Um, and so, so you, I remember you kind of made a, a stand, a heroic stand, accidentally. I it was completely by accident, and I I would love to to think that I would have done that with all intention and knowing what would have occurred. But I, I don't know. Perhaps okay. Uh, okay. perhaps the human side of me at that point, being so excited about serving, finally in this choice position, that I would have. Uh, things might have gone differently, but I found myself then shortly back at my desk, really in a in a fairly direct conversation with God in my own mind. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah, fairly upset, and uh, I remember going to uh, the Yahoo search engine at the time. This is before it was the, the day. primarily yeah. when Yahoo was was the was the big search engine, right? And yeah. I remember typing in religious communications because, or Christian communications, because I, I thought, well, if it's my faith that got me into this problem for opening my big mouth, maybe I should find a role where my <laughs> faith and my vocation are a little more aligned, uh, yeah. or have the opportunity to live it out, and and yeah. that ultimately started me on a, on a very different trajectory to where I am today. But but that. Uh, yeah, it was an unintentional heroic stance. Is a great <laughs> way of it. Did you then move to something which aligned your 
love of marketing and communications with your faith more closely, let's say? I really did. I came across uh, a ministry. Uh, it was it was not not a not a nonprofit, but a, uh, a a ministry, a business that had been founded by three uh, by by three men, two of whom were pastors, and their entire goal was to help churches and denominations in the United States better understand the demographics of who is living around your building. Uh, okay. What are they like? What are their needs? What are their passions? What what are their hurts? Mm. Uh, so that you can build programs and strategy to actually serve them well and to reach mm. them well. Mm. And it, it, it was a sudden discovery for me that with my PR background and marketing background and under, trying to understand the audience, that I actually was walking into rooms with ministers and pastors and priests, and in some cases, bishops, and learning that this was not a skill that was taught in seminary. All of the all of the things that they had gone through in seminary that was telling them to reach out and spread the word of God, love their neighbor, love our neighbor as ourselves, know who our neighbor is. This was the how to do it was not taught in seminary. And so suddenly uh, it was a bit of uh, you hear a lot today about imposter syndrome, um, and I definitely felt a bit of imposter syndrome. Here am I, the early 20s uh, young man. How in the world am I walking into rooms full of these uh, leaders? And I actually have something to bring to the table. It was, uh, it was a truly amazing and very redemptive experience, honestly, uh, to see how God wanted to use me uh, in that time. So if we now kind of fast forward to what you're doing now, can you tell us a little bit about your job now? Yes. So I serve right now as part of the international leadership team for operation mobilization or OM, if you like. We, uh, our primary work around the world is equipping Jesus followers to live out God's love right there in your in their own neighborhoods and hopefully in, in places around the world where churches and Christians are few and far between. So we work with existing Jesus followers, disciples, to help them, um, like all of us, take the skills, the passions, the giftings that God has put in you and use those for his purposes of sharing his love with your life through word and deed uh, in places of the world and with people of the world who, who really need to know how much God loves them. So that's that's OM, that's what we do. My role uh, is very much aligned with the things that I've been mentioning right now. It's it's around the communication side. And so for the past couple of years, I've been leading a project that we, we refer to as the Mission Gap Project, where what we've been attempting to do is to better understand why there are so many existing professing Jesus followers in the world who have not been able to or struggle to connect their faith to their daily life? Why do so many of us view this sacred secular divide uh, as a concrete line instead of thinking that, my goodness, if, if God put these skills and passions inside of me, 
Uh, there is absolutely a way of using these skills and passions for his work in the world and really connecting the dots for people as a, as a whole person, the whole created person formed and transformed by God uh, to use everything we have for his work in the world. So this research project that I've been doing has been listening to Jesus followers to learn what are the fears and what are the knowledge gaps that hold us back from ultimately stepping into the life that we were created for? And that's been a beautiful journey. We've learned ultimately three common fears that are present inside the minds of Jesus followers around the world that keep us uh, from stepping into God's work with our full lives. And three knowledge barriers, if you will, that... Um, make it difficult to even sometimes consider that we as existing Jesus followers have a role to play. And let me give a bit more preface to say that we've done this research in seven different countries of the world. So this is not just sort of westernized research, right? We, 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 we did do this research in the United States and in Australia and Germany, uh, but we, we also uh, sat down with existing professing Jesus followers for this research in Hong Kong and in Ghana, in Chile, in Brazil. Mm. So the findings are really a global picture of what are the three big pieces of knowledge that are that seem to be missing in some way. And the first one is this idea that as a Christian, we are part of God's missionary force. So many people still use phrases like, I'm still waiting for my call. Or we heard even in some parts of the world that people people saying, no, no, I'm just a Christian. I'm not a part of God's mission. Being a part of God's mission is, is set apart for those special people that have a, a full-time pastors, full-time missionaries, these people with these full-time, they've given everything else up. That's, you know, these are the people that are involved in that. Wow. I'm just a Christian. Yeah. Um, so that that's one knowledge barrier. The second is this idea that as a Jesus follower, uh, it is a full-time, every part of the world lifestyle, uh, as opposed to what we can sometimes wrap ourselves around, which is this idea that as if as if short-term missionary is actually a thing. It's not a thing. When you said you were in, with, with God's mission in the world, um, that's not a short-term opportunity. It's not a part-time thing. You're not just a Christian on Sundays, right? This is, uh, this is a new lifestyle that you've stepped into. Uh, and when you said yes to following Christ, you're following the call he gave to all who follow him that he, he relayed to his disciples uh, in the upper room, right? The, the evening of his resurrection. Uh, when he said, go <laughs> um, mm -hmm. and make disciples, this is what we've opted into. We've already made that choice. Yet so many of us feel like we're still sitting on the sidelines waiting for some sort of special extra call and to help people reframe the idea of calling, not as an if, but as a how. It's not if you've been called, it's it's how you've been called. And so how do we take the... Um, the skills, the passions, the giftings that God has put in you and use those for his work. And so this, this, the idea that the Christian life is all of life is, is the second knowledge 
barrier. And the third is really anything related to what might be categorized as the least reached or the unreached or those parts of the world where the gospel still has yet to take root. Those parts of the world where churches and Jesus followers are few and far between. By most estimates, there are somewhere in the neighborhood of 3 billion, with a B, people living today who live in places without Christian neighbors or without any local church, right? There's no active body of Christ in that community that where, where they're going to see a living example of, of what is a Christian lifestyle all about. And so Christ says to the ends of the earth, but we collectively as a church don't seem to know a lot about that ends of the earth uh, topic when it comes to where are those places in the world where the gospel still desperately needs to take root. Yes, in our own neighborhoods. Yes, in our own relationships, right in our own backyard, but also uh, being aware of the fact that God's heart is breaking for people around the world who don't yet know who he is, even beyond our own neighborhoods, right? So those are the three knowledge barriers. The, the three fear barriers are actually much much more simple and much more easy to understand. Um, people were, number one, the top fear globally was a fear of sacrifice. What am I going to have to give up hmm. to step into this lifestyle? Hmm. Oh, my goodness. We heard so many people talking about the wonderful schools that their children attend, the great retirement package that they have set aside from this career that they have. I'm going to have to give all of that up. And the reality is most of the time, the things you're giving, you're, you're giving up are the human side of strivings, if you will. Um, and, and you're pulling on the, the skills and passions God has given you. You're stepping into uh, as opposed to giving up. Um, but, but nevertheless, this idea of sacrifice is, is, a, is a tremendous one that, that mm. keeps a lot of people out of working for God's, uh, wrapping their full lives around God's work in the world. The second one is a fear of, of failure, feeling ill-equipped. Uh, what if I do it wrong? <laughs> um, and the third is a fear of safety, not, not only physical safety, but also sort of emotional safety. And that came out a lot as we spoke with people and uh, we spoke with Jesus followers who recounted, you know, I have a great relationship with my neighbors. If I start inviting them to church, if I start talking to them about my faith, I'm not sure that my relationship is going to hold up. I think they might look at me with a strange eye <laughs> and think mm. that I'm Mm. Uh, I'm the I'm the loon on the street. I don't want to be the loon on the street. Um, so, uh, but that fear of safety mm. is the other piece that holds people back. Mm. And of course, all of these fears are opportunities for us to grow as disciples. We all have fears, but the more we step into our fears and recognize, very much like Moses, right? He was full of fears, but the more he stepped into this calling and this this thing that God had put on his heart. Um, he realized that God was walking with him and his fears eventually mm. began to uh, be pushed to the side so he could step mm. into this journey that was ahead of him. Mm. So yeah, it, we, we've learned quite a bit. So yeah, yeah. I mean, listening to this, and I'm sure other people listening to this, at least some of those things people are going to think, yeah, that's me. Or oh, I, I identify with those things. 
you know, I've, I feel those fears or I recognize those knowledge gaps. So, yeah, I mean, it all, it all just feels very true, doesn't it? That, that stuff you were saying there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very hard to sometimes remember that uh, we as Christians, we're, that, that, that point in which we said yes to following Christ, that was the beginning of the journey, right? Um, and, the, and the journey continues, and we all mm. continue to be uh, transformed. And as we step more into his life, uh, his lifestyle and following him and trusting in him, we continue to be transformed. And so it is a, uh, there's no shame in any of these fears, right? No. It's just, mm. it's just our humanness trying yeah. to better align with God's yeah. wholeness. <laughs> yeah. So I want to come back to your journey now then, I wondered if you could share maybe a couple of times in your life where you have really felt uh, the companionship of Christ, maybe in you know great times, difficult times, whatever, but but just times when you've really felt God close in whatever circumstance you're dealing with. Oh, my goodness. You know, it's interesting when you when you I think when you look back on your life. I always view sometimes looking at my own life in 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 the rearview mirror, so to speak, as a bit of a chess game. Uh, with God. Uh, I, I make one move, uh, but I, I, I'm that neophyte chess player that can only see one one move ahead, and I'm playing against the, the, the master who <laughs> has the ability to see, you know, every possible move on the board and can, uh, can you know, he, he's already thinking 12 moves ahead, and I make, I move one little piece, and his counter is always something far more beautiful and strategic. And so uh, I, I can say, I can go back to that very first story that I shared of, of losing that first dream job only to find myself working very directly in, 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 in ministry uh, alongside these churches and, and feeling whole. Because suddenly my passions my and my skills and what I was doing, everything was aligning. I'll never forget that feeling of peace that it was like, this is what God had in mind. This is where he wanted me to go. And, and recognizing that, yes, this was, this was the right decision. Now, I think like so many of us, I've also made the wrong call several times in life. We, we, we um, we go full on, uh, <laughs> full steam ahead, so to speak, uh, straight into a brick wall, and then learn. Okay, God, that was the wrong direction. I, I clearly am not hearing you correctly. Um, but that moment early on was one of those moments that I hold on to, because I I remember um, what it felt like to 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 be doing the things that god to to to, be, to to turn that corner and feel like i was now definitely doing the things that god wanted me to do it's a bit like i don't know if you've had this experience but i always when i'm feeling under the weather when i'm feeling ill i always attempt to remember what it feels like to be well <laughs> as if i can will myself back to a better state of mind um but i can never wrap my mind around it. I can never fully just uh, 
suddenly uh, will myself to being well. Um, uh, there's a sickness and I've got to get, I've got, it's got to take time. I've got to get over it. And that's similar when I've, when I've made the wrong choice, when I've gone down, um, I, what was it like to hear God's voice where, where that's right. And so having those, those times in my life, when I know that I've heard God's voice and I've done the thing and I feel like it's aligned well, uh, those are things that I definitely hold on to. But that early one, that was absolutely um, probably the first and and one of the one of the largest sort of aha moments for me uh, mm. in my own faith journey of just really feeling like God's got this. It's going to be okay. Mm. Um, and and He did. It was it was an incredible time. Have you got? Another one you could share with us? Sure, sure, sure. You've probably got lots of them. <laughs> uh, I really do. I think. I think um, there was a there was a very dark um, time in my life. Uh, actually, ironically enough, I was uh, so I was in uh, I was in the UK. I was in Bristol. Okay. Uh, I was uh, I was there for a. a for, some work meeting in a conference and I had just gone through a very difficult time with a very with with uh, with a, sort of a, a personal relationship that um I had gotten to my I I was so I found myself just being so angry with God because this relationship I thought I thought this is going to be it this is this is that person that I'm going to spend my life with this is this is going to be, you know, everything seemed to be aligning. And then everything, it seemed like from one day to the next, a corner was turning and it was not going the way that I thought. And I can remember being in Bristol, taking a walk along the, uh, along the seaside. <laughs> and I was actually yelling out loud <laughs> at God. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had those moments. People must have thought I was mad. Uh, I mean, it was nighttime. Uh, there wasn't very many people that was under the, under the, under the lights that were lighting the path. And I was just walking up and down and I was just yelling because I felt like that was the only, I just, I couldn't hold it in anymore. I was so angry. I was so upset. Um, and I feel like there was a point in which I just tangibly heard from God. Okay. Are you done? Because I've got this. Uh, you, 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 you've had your moment. <laughs> you've, you are, is it all out of your system now? Because, uh, now, uh, now you need to let me go to work. And the beautiful thing about that is during that yelling, <laughs> uh, some of the things that I was yelling was about me being done with, uh, with relationships. I just wanted to, I just wanted to do just, just put me to work, God. I just want to focus on just that. And, uh, and uh, God had other things in mind. Shortly after, uh, I met the woman who would be my wife. And uh, we met in the most bizarre way. Here I am, uh, an American. She is from Chile originally. We met at a conference in Korea and started a long-distance relationship for over a year. Uh, that eventually uh, resulted in uh, her being my wife and us starting what is a tremendous relationship. And I've 
I, I, I can think back to being so angry with God and having him mm. just say, I've got this, I've got mm. this. But uh, that was definitely one of those, one of those moments when mm. um, I just felt at my lowest and all I could do was yell and cry and, and wail. And yet God was in that and God took me from that to what he had in store. So so one of the things that I do personally think is quite important for people of faith and actually people who I talk to for this podcast, a number of them say something similar to what you've just said their own, in their own context and in their own way, but they've got a similar story. And I wondered if you could just share what you think you've learned about how we can shout at God and how that works and how he then deals with us. So how do because there's some precedent as well in scripture for this, I think. But from your perspective, what is it, you know, how does that work? How, what's the kind of dynamic of that, do you think? I guess I don't know the way that it works for everyone. I certainly couldn't speak to that. But I feel like there are many ways that we can get to the raw place. And there are circumstances in our life that break us down. And we we often re, we often discover ourselves in those places because we've built some sort of artificial construct around our identity, around what we're supposed to be doing. And yet we serve a God that is always on the move. And he is always, um, you know, his, his end goal is likely never what we have built up as a construct for our own personal end goal. And so when he breaks, when things happen and it, and we discover that our life is breaking through one of the barriers that we set up for ourselves, whether that be job loss, relationship loss, some other catastrophe happening that, that breaks apart the world that we have formed for ourselves as being, this is my perfect world. This is the way things are supposed to be. I think that's the moment when we have to look back to God and he he uses those moments to remind us that we have built up our own fake reality mm. that uh, in many ways and that he we have to be putting our trust in him da- daily we've we've perhaps put our trust in something else that we were not supposed to be putting our trust in but mm. but he uses those moments to say hey I'm always here um and I've got you and it's okay and we'll get through this I served for some time as uh, as a as a music director uh, at a church. Okay. Uh, many years ago, many many years ago, and on one occasion, there was a woman. Her name is Miss Addie. She was a a Southern uh, woman uh, from the deep South of the United States. She sort of spoke with this Southern U.S. accent. She was a very matter of fact woman. She just told it like it is. I don't know if that was always how she was or if she had gotten to that point after being after 85 years of life. But she showed up at the choir rehearsal one day with a clipboard in hand and said, you know, folks, the local homeless shelter needs volunteers to serve meals. And it sounds like they're really low on volunteers. So I have a clipboard here. I know most of us are retired. Um, so we have time on our hands. I figured this is what we can do. And she just handed out the clipboard as a very matter of fact thing. It went from the first person to the next, to the next, it got to the third person and Miss Addie stood back up again and she goes, excuse me, have we all forgotten how to write our names? 
<laughs> and you can sort of hear this, this deep silence of the moment. And the woman who had the clipboard at the time, she said, oh, Miss Addie, we really appreciate your passion about this. We know this is the type of thing you get involved with. But me and my husband, as you said, you know, we're retired. And this just isn't the kind of thing we do anymore. And Miss Addie looked at her. <laughs> And without skipping a beat, she just said, oh, I can understand being retired. Absolutely. But I figure uh, since I'm still on this earth, it must be for God's purposes. So she said, and then she said something I'll never forget. She said, if God thought I was done, I'm sure that I'd be done. She mm-hmm. <laughs> has that power. <laughs> But since I'm here, it must be for his purposes. And so I I go back to that in those moments of feeling like everything's fallen apart, right? I go, well, I'm still here. And God created me on purpose with intentionality. I know that. Scripture tells me that. So I must still be here for his purposes and for his. So whatever has fallen apart around me. Uh, I need to hold back tightly to this idea of here's this 85-year-old woman who says, well, if God thought I was done, then I'm sure I'd be done. Mm. <laughs> um, it's always been a great reminder for me. And I guess I guess the obvious extension to that is if you're not done, then you've still got something to do. If That's you're exactly still around, right. then you know, however grumpy you are. Oh, well, however upset you are, actually, you know, you could kind of get through that somehow. And actually, God's got stuff for you to do still. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. <laughs> oh, she sounds like a formidable woman, Miss Addy. <laughs> oh, my goodness, she was. She absolutely was. And a lot of fun. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about uh, this book that you've just written, Jeff. Or maybe you wrote it back, but it's just been published, certainly, The Family Business. I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about the book and perhaps something you were alluding to earlier, how how there might be some parallels between that that story and, and your own life. Yeah, for myself, the, the book itself is called, as you said, The Family Business, a parable about stepping into the life you were made for. And it follows the journey of an older man named Jesse. He is the father of five adult children, and he's getting up in age. And so he calls his children back to back to the family home for a holiday meal and just mm-hmm. extends an invitation. He says, look, as you all know, we have a family business. It's a, it's a neighborhood hardware store that has got some franchise locations around the around. And as your father, I would like to ask you to bring everything you have all of the skills you've developed, all the passions you have, all the education. And I would love for you to bring that and put it back to work for the family business. And the story then continues from the point of that invitation to peeking into the lives of each of these five children as each Mm. of them wrestle with the invitation that they've been given to step into their father's business, to step into the family business. And it's very much written as a parallel of each of us and our struggles to step into God's family business with our full lives. Mm. It parallels uh, directly a lot of the research that I mentioned earlier Mm. uh, of the fears and the knowledge gaps that keep people existing, professing Jesus followers from taking that step and saying, yes, I'm, I'm all in, I'm going to always look for ways of being a part of God's family business. 
And so you read the different characters, you read through the different characters' stories, and uh, hopefully uh, readers will see themselves uh, mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. one or more. I know I see myself in a little bit in all of the five children. <laughs> um, I guess that's to be expected as the author, but the reality is there is no, no one perfect fit. This, there, there is one character that is exactly me. Uh, and I'm hoping, um, I'm guessing there won't be one character that is exactly everyone else. Maybe there will be, who knows. But but for me, writing this book was an amazing process because Jesse, as you might imagine, in the parable, even though it's a short story, so to speak, it's a short read, probably the biggest hurdle I had in writing this book was, was positioning Jesse as someone who people can look to as they read the story and say, yep, that's the nature of God. The Mm -hmm. way that I see Jesse responding, that's the way that God responds to his Mm -hmm. children. And being someone who grew up without a father, that it was probably, it was one of the first times I think in my life when I connected the dots that genuinely the father in my life uh, has been God. And that's not, I didn't, I don't have an earthly father that I'm comparing Jesse to. Uh, the only reference point I have is who I know God to be through scriptures. Mm. So it, it was a very um, sort of deep awakening for me at the time. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I can, I, can, I can well imagine that that required some careful thought and reflection and prayer almost just to kind of get that bit right, the, 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 the father character in it. It's very intimidating. <laughs> it was very intimidating <laughs> because I did not want people to to read this book and not it's one thing to see yourself as as one of the characters. But then if you see yourself as one of the characters, that character is responding to at each and every point the children reach back out to their father in in some way individually to yes. say, "Okay, dad, here's my here's my thinking. This is what I'm processing through, mm. uh, what are your thoughts? And around each and every corner, the father just reiterates how much he loves his children mm-hmm. and how and just how much they are a perfect fit for the work that he has planned and what he'd love to see happen. Uh, and that they're, they're, even though they might feel like they're a square peg in a round hole, when it comes to his work, they're not. This they're a square peg in a square hole or a round peg in a round hole. They are a perfect fit because this is the father's work. This is what they were designed to do. Mm. So um that's that it was it's it was a beautiful process for myself. Mm. Um a bit therapeutic at times as well, uh to, to yeah, write as, those pieces. As writing can be, I guess. You know, I, I do you think you might write something else at some point? Are you have you discovered your inner author? <laughs> well, I think that's a good question because to be honest, I did not anticipate writing this book to begin with. Um, I, <laughs> I, I honestly, uh, I went to speak to the publisher because we had done this research and I said, we have all this research and I'm looking for different ways of getting out some of this information. And, mm. and I pitched a few different ideas and they said, oh, this parable idea sounds interesting. Can you, can you line that out for us? What, what might it look like? And in my mind, I was thinking that they they have authors that they work with all the time. They can give this idea over to somebody who can mm, just mm. take it and run with it. I think it was about the time that I discovered I was writing chapter four. 
that <laughs> suddenly I realized, oh, they're they're looking to me <laughs> to write this thing. Here I am in marketing and whatever else. I'm the behind the scenes writer always. I'm not the yes. front yes. person. So yeah. uh it, it it definitely awakened something. And and I do have uh certainly other ideas and other things. Okay. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that comes to mind for me as well as uh, as you know, there's so much of this idea of the family business that I think, even though the book is taken from the character perspective as individuals, as you and I, as followers of God and for his family business, there's another perspective if you turn the tables on the story to think through this as an employer. If I am a Christian, who, if I do, I truly treat my employees, not as if they're working for me, but as if they're working for God and that they are there. We're trying to steward the skills and experiences and passions of my team members so that they are living into the thing that God has created them to do. Mm. Is that my view as my co- as a coach, as a leader for the people who I, who I serve with or who, who report to me. And so that that idea has come up in a couple conversations now. Um just from people who say how do I if I if I as a Christian truly believe that everybody was created for God's purpose in the world, then as an employer, that changes the way that I mm. look at my team. Mm. Um even even though I'm running an engineering firm or uh, a a physio office or you know, or a, a landscaping crew, it changes the way that I view the people I work with because I view them not as part of getting the job done here. That's certainly a piece of it, but I also need to view them as people who were created by God for a specific purpose and given skills for a reason. And how am I helping them to steward those gifts well? So it, I don't know if there's something else in book form for that down the road, but it certainly is another idea that's come mm. up. My hope is people will read it and and begin to process through how can we each, as Jesus followers, better connect who God has created us to be with the work God has created us to do. Mm. Um, and that's that's my hope, because I do feel like so many of us do feel like a square peg in a round hole oftentimes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, they do. And, yeah. and we don't need to feel that way so frequently. It's because we still, for various reasons, are trying to separate out. We're trying to, even though we don't intend to, we live our lives as if we are, we have a sacred, a sacred life and a secular life. Mm-hmm. And that's just not real. God is in everything. God has provided everything. God is a and and therefore everything, this is a holistic life in that way. Um, both of those pieces are connected, but we so frequently live our lives as if they as if they are not. Uh, and I think that's that's the the deep conversation that I'm hoping everybody has when they read the book. So with the family business then, Jeff. Um, if people want to find out where that is, if people want to find resources connected to it, what's what's available and where where should they go to get that? The book itself, 
the family business can be found really wherever you get your books. There's the printed copy, there's an ebook, and there's an audio version as well. If uh, people are interested, you can, of course, get that wherever you normally get books, as I mentioned. But I'd love to direct people to the OM website, om.org. We have a book section. If you go to om.org, you'll find resources and books, and there's a bookstore right there. And the reason I, we love to direct people to, to that is because uh, at the end of the day, 100% of the proceeds from this book actually go to OM. Uh, this is an OM project. This is something that we created um, that, that I, I kind of did on behalf of the of the ministry because yeah. it's really trying to, mm. to emphasize the work that we're doing. And so when you buy the book directly from OM, it's just a better connection that way. So om.org to find the book if you if you like. There's also available, uh, there's a website for the book itself, thefamilybusinessparable.com. And you can get deeper dive videos. There's free video content there as well. There's study guides for small groups to help kind of ask deep questions and have facilitate conversation. So if you're uh, if you're interested in doing something like this for a small group, all of those resources are available for free at thefamilybusinessparable.com. Okay, so but if people want to buy it, buy it via the OM website. So yeah, OM. OM.org is, is a great opportunity, yeah. Yeah, okay, great. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me. It's been great to talk to you. Uh, listen to the accidental things you've done in life and stuff like that. It's great. You know, I guess our happy accidents are always things that God God uses or <laughs> was always are accidental to us, but God yeah. seems to have this bigger plan. So yeah, Andy, thank you so much. It's been great to be with you and to share with you today. I appreciate the ministry you have in this podcast, and I just uh, hope that it blesses so many people. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Testimony Podcast. You can subscribe to the show on all of the major podcast distributors and also follow us on Twitter at TestimonyCast. If you want to find out more about the Christian faith and connect with someone to talk about your experiences or answer your questions, just go to www.christianity.org.uk from wherever you are in the world. You can also contact us by email at thetestimonycast.com at gmail.com that's the testimony cast at gmail.com i look forward to sharing more of the stories that matter from people of faith with you soon until then thank you for listening and god bless you